Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. If you have your Bibles, um, let's see, where should we start? Go ahead and um, open up to. Let's open up to Acts chapter seven real quick, and 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 go to the end part of Acts seven, like in the fifties, and we'll get there eventually. And then we're gonna just jump around, and then we'll sit on two main, maybe two passages today, and uh, just share our hearts. My and what God is is speaking to us. I thought I was gonna be done last week with steward the dwelling. Let me tell you what happened here, because it's always it's always a fun ride with the Lord. Um, I was going to wrap it up. I have some other things that, that, I, that I wanted to dive into eventually, if the Lord allows it. But um, something happened even in, in men's group where we, um, we started to talk about it and God was giving me numbers 16 and 17. And I have that somewhere at the end of my notes, which I don't even think we're going to touch today. Maybe I'll teach it on this upcoming Wednesday in midweek. So hopefully you come back for that. If I don't finish this, I'm going to finish it for midweek. But I just want to be obedient to the Lord. And for some reason, God wanted, as I thought I was going to preach, I had in my notes, number 16 and 17, up in the top of my notes. And as I was just, um, just praying and, and just reading the word, it's funny because it started to come down. <laughs> and then I said, okay, maybe that's not exactly what I'm supposed to be sharing today. But at some point, it's going to be related to what we're talking about. But, but he, I'm going to continue with Steward the Dwelling. So this would be part four of Steward the Dwelling. Hallelujah. Part four, and um, go ahead and, and, and you can write that on your notes of Steward the Dwelling Part Four. And I want to share with you um, some passages in which God was blessing me with this week, and, and I know He's calling me to share it with you. We spent a good, obviously it's Part Four, so we spent a good um, three weeks, the last three weeks, discussing what it means to steward the dwelling. And and hopefully, if I pass the mic around, many of you could re-preach it and you've gone back to back to podcasts and you could you could teach it and talk about that we've we've covered a lot of things in in three weeks and and we're praying we're praying that testimonies arise of of life of life-changing encounters with the lord that are transforming lives encounters with the lord that are transforming lives um how many of your lives have been transformed because you've encountered the lord okay and and we're praying for that to continue to grow we say that a lot here, right? That it does not just end in salvation. It continues after salvation. We, 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 we don't like, oh, yeah, I remember when I encountered God 20 years ago and my life was changed forever. What do you mean? You stopped there? Our, our encounters with the Lord, shouldn't they grow? Yes, sir. Can you imagine if my encounter with my wife was only one time? No, it should continue to grow in any kind of relationship that we are in. Any kind of relationship we are in. Okay, it should continue to, to grow. It's the same thing with our Lord that is transforming lives. And I wrote this down, and I want to make sure that I, that, I, that I start with this and I stress this. And it's this, not encounters that necessarily just cause us to look for more encounters, but that will cause us to fix our eyes on Jesus and to never take them off him again. That's totally different. There's a lot of things I want to say there because then... then then the truth is you, you're just going to jump around from any kind of place that, that they're having special little encounters or some more, and you're just going to be jumping around. But the reality is that 
that it's not just about, oh, I want to go into other encounters. I want to have encounters that, that, that sharpens my view, that gives me greater vision, that fixes my eyes on my Christ, and I will never take them off. Um, I've, I've, I've been saved now for so long, for so many years. I'm going to give you the years right now. Let me add them up. Okay, if I'm 37, 15, 30. Wow, that's like 18 years or something like that, 19 years. That's a lot of years. So almost 20 years now that, that, I've, that, I've, yeah, that I've come to the Lord, 20 years already that I've been with the Lord. And that's, that's special because as I'm celebrating this, this 20 years and we're looking at this, I've never, I've never necessarily walked away from the Lord. I want to make sure you guys understand this. That's called apostasy, right? I've never walked away from the Lord in those 20 years. Never have I walked away. I've stayed with him. But I will tell you this. In my 20 years, I have taken my eyes off the Lord. It does not mean that I've walked away from him. But I have, I have taken my eyes off him. Peter didn't necessarily walk away from the Lord. But we see in Peter's life, there are times where he took his eyes off the Lord. Totally different. It doesn't mean that I committed apostasy. I didn't reject him. I just got distracted with many other things that were not of God. Or maybe I, be, I made them gods into my life, in my life. You guys are with me? So why, why do I want to continue to encounter the Lord? Not just so that I could come over here and say, guys, I encountered God this week. And you're like, who cares? Who cares if your eyes are not burning in his presence because you're, you're continuing to search for him and seek him and your eyes don't come off him. You know what I'm saying? So those encounters should stir up in us that our eyes are fixed and we will never take our eyes off Jesus ever again. Amen. Hebrews 12.2 teaches us this. There's a lot of passages that teach us this. But in Hebrews 12.2, the passion says it this way. I'm going to read this whole verse, but especially the first sentence. Um, I want to make sure you hear that part. It says this. We look away from the natural realm and we fasten our gaze onto Jesus who birthed faith within us, who leads us forward into faith's perfection. His example is this, because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that you would be his. He endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation and now sits exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. What a powerful passage, Hebrews 12, 2. We look away from the natural things, from the natural realm, from the things in which our eyes see physically, and we fasten our gaze unto Jesus, who gave us this faith anyways, who birthed this faith in us, who, how can I say this according to the context of what we've been preaching here for the last four weeks, who attached this branch to the vine. You guys are with me? I, he, he attached this branch, or he caused this branch to grow from his vine. And he did that, he started it. You know this stuff right here? He started it. And the Bible says that he is what? He will complete the work in which he started it. <laughs> it's all so good. That's why when people leave the Lord and God started something, they're coming back. If they really knew the Lord, they're coming back. Why? Because it has nothing to do with you. He started it. He'll just keep hitting rock bottom. You're going to nail your face. You're going you're to come to the floor. But he will cause you to have encounters. I don't care if you're drunk in the middle of the night. God can still speak because he is greater than alcohol. And he'll, he'll, he'll wake you up and, oh, my God, I think I'm drunk. Yeah, but he just made you clear for a couple minutes so he could speak into you. He'll do whatever he can. Why? He started it. And he's going to finish that which he starts. How many of you could give God some praise for that? He started this mess of my life. He started this mess in my life. So when I stray a little bit, when my eyes are taken off, he started this. He started it. 
I couldn't do anything for salvation. He did it on the, he started it. And, and, and that's what he wants, that we, would, that we would fasten our gaze onto him. He started this and he wants to grow, grow that and deepen that. It's the same as Stephen. Think about Stephen for a moment. Acts chapter 7, I told you to turn there. It's the posture of Stephen as we see it. He's at, let me give you a quick summary. He's at the end of his life. Stephen was just a normal church member, minding his own business. And one day the apostles came and said, we're tired, we're busy, we are doing too much stuff. So this is what we're going to do, church. I need all of us to get together. Let's do a little vote here. And I want you to pick seven men. And out of the seven men, men of good reputation, men who are full of the Holy Spirit, men who are full of faith. And they said, all right, we got seven. And one of them's name was Stephen. And Stephen's like, I've been chosen for what? You've been chosen to serve the church now. You're called to be a deacon, so on and so forth. He was going to be a slave. I love that men full of the Holy Spirit were called to be slaves to the church. We think because we're full of the Holy Spirit, we, we, people, not we, our church is great, right? But people think that because I'm full with the Holy Spirit, I should be up there and preaching alongside the pastor every once in a while. Or I should be up there and leading worship every once in a while. Or being full with the Holy Spirit, actually, you should start ministering to the body and start serving. That's, that's, that's what we see in Acts. I love that in Acts, right? It kind of rebukes us. Because they're like, oh, I'm full of the Holy Spirit. I want to do great things. And God's like, good, go wash their feet. And you're like, well, you know, I wanted a different platform. What starts there? So Stephen was like that, right? He, so he, he's just preaching to people. He's just serving the church. And the religious leaders are getting upset at him. So listen to this now. He's at the end of his life. They're about to kill him. And, and some of his last words, the last thing that he sees before taking his last breath. And, and I like this because it's also the first thing he sees when he takes his first breath in the other realm. I need you to catch that. The last thing he sees as he takes his last breath, is also the first thing he sees as he takes his first breath in eternity. And then I want to go into this. It's in verse 54, and I'm going to read all the way to 56, Acts 7. It says, when they heard these, these things from Stephen, the things that he was saying and doing, they were overtaken with violent rage, filling their souls, and they gnashed their teeth at him. We've gone over this so much time. But Stephen, overtaken with great faith and full, who does he sound like? Thank you. You are a faithful member, whoever said that. You said that? You are a faithful member here. He was full of the Holy Spirit. What else? No, I do that. I get lost. Stephen, overtaken with great faith, full of the Holy Spirit. Listen to this. He fixed his gaze into the heavenly realm. Hebrews 12, 2. We look away from the natural realm and we fasten our gaze onto Jesus. That's Hebrews 12. Acts 7, Stephen, overtaken with great faith, full of the Holy Spirit, he fixed his gaze into the heavenly realm. Notice, Acts 12, 2, not the natural realm, but Stephen fixes his eyes on the heavenly realm. And he saw the glory and the splendor of God. And Jesus, who stood up at the right hand of God, and verse 56, Stephen says, look, I can see the heavens opening and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God to welcome me home. I shared this in a revival a couple weeks ago, and I said, did you catch anything specific about that? Did anyone catch it? The Bible says that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. But at this moment, Jesus is standing before Stephen. Welcome home. Stephen's life made Jesus stand. Bro, if I could just live that, that my life will make Jesus stand. Welcome home. 
Like, that's mind-blowing because he sits at the right hand of the Father. We're not in Acts 7. In Acts 7, Stephen is at the end of his life. He's being stoned. He's being killed. He's about to go to, into eternity. And the Lord gives him a flash of, look where you're coming. As he's ready to take his last breath, he says, wait, before you throw the first rock or before you throw me over the cliff or before you roll me into a hole and throw this rock on top of me, whichever kind of form of stoning they used, before you do this, I need to make sure you understand this. I'm looking into the heavenly realm, and it's opened up, and it's welcoming home, and there is God the father and standing next to him is jesus christ the one whom you persecuted he's standing for me to welcome me and i and i just look at that and i'm like man and 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 what is stephen's posture here my eyes are fixed on his throne my eyes are fixed on jesus it's not what hebrews 12 to not on the natural realm but it's fastened Upon Jesus, the gaze is on Jesus. He's overtaken by that. And that's what I feel like steward the dwelling is all about. Steward the dwelling, listen to this, has so much to do that for the rest of your life, you should write this in your notes, you would fix your gaze into the heavenly realm and see the glory and the splendor of God and Jesus right there. Who would stand up at the right hand of God to welcome you home? And I'm going to make sure I say this. And it's not just at my death, but imagine with every breath on earth taken, he's welcomed me home into his presence. Because we teach here that home is where his presence is. So imagine that the Lord shows us that. I'm standing for you. I'm standing before you to welcome you into the presence. I'm welcoming you home. Not just an, an exit into this world, but an entrance into my world. An open door system here where we think it's always closed for us. It's not. If not, rip the pages of your Bible where it says that when he died, the veil was torn. Rip that page if you don't believe it. Rip it. Because nothing shall separate us from the throne. Nothing shall separate us from his presence. That means now, and I'll get to the royal priesthood, right? We all have access to it. So what does that mean? It's ripped. It's torn. It's not just for a specific high priest, but it's for a royal priesthood now that he's chosen. That is dressed with his blood, with the garments of his blood on the cross. Steward the dwelling has a lot to do with the Lord making us even like Barnabas. A good man, full of the Holy Spirit. And strong in faith. Steward the dwelling has much to do with what Paul writes. You should um, turn, actually turn there. It's going to be good if we read it together. Philippians chapter 3. Forgive me if I'm not reading from your translation. I love the way the passion puts Philippians 3. And I'm going to start off in verse 9. Philippians 3, 9. look away from the natural realm and we fasten our gaze unto Jesus. Stephen, overtaken with great faith, was full of the Holy Spirit. He fixed his gaze into the heavenly realm and he saw the glory and splendor of God. I want the Bible. I want to write a new scripture in it. Don't come over here and say, oh, the Bible says no one should add and take away. That's not what I'm talking about, but I want to add something new. Rigo Figueredo looked up into the heavens and his eyes were gazed upon Jesus and why not? Why can't I say that for myself, huh? It's all right. All right, Philippians chapter 3, let's go to verse 9. And, and steward the dwelling 
as much as it has to do with Hebrews 12, as much as it has to do with Stephen at the end of his life, as much as it has to do with even Barnabas as we preached, I don't know, three to four weeks on him, it also has to do with Paul's writing here, Philippians 3, as the Lord was bringing this passage to my attention. Listen to this. In verse 9, I'm going to read the first, the A part of it, then I'm going to jump in from 10, and I'll probably finish all the way to in verse 16, 10 to 16. Listen to this. He starts off in, in this passage that I'm reading with, My passion is to be consumed with him, and not clinging to my own righteousness. That's a beautiful starting point there. But I don't want to focus too much on that. I want to start off in 10. But I just love that part. My passion is to be consumed with him. And not clinging to my own righteousness. I'm wondering if when we look at Stephen's life. Um, I think verse 9 defines his life very well. Where Stephen is consumed with him. And he's not clinging to his own righteousness. Instead of giving like. Wait, don't kill me. Let me give you five reasons why I don't think you should kill me. They're about to kill him. And he says, let me tell you what I'm seeing in heaven here on earth. Why? He, it wasn't even about his own righteousness. He was consumed by him. To the point of his death, he's still speaking about the glory and what he's seeing in the heavenly realm. Verse 10 says, let me just read through it. And I continually long <clears throat> to know oh, so good, the wonders of Jesus more fully. And to experience the overflowing power of his resurrection working in me. I will be one with him in his suffering and I will be one with him in his death. 11. Only then will I be able to, will I be able to experience complete oneness with him in his resurrection from the realm of death. I admit that I haven't yet acquired the absolute fullness that I'm pursuing. Anyone there yet? Are we there? I admit that I haven't yet acquired the absolute fullness in which I'm pursuing. If you have, that's good. That's good. I don't know how you've done it. It's good. I don't know how. But here's Paul. And he's like, I have to admit this. I haven't acquired the absolute fullness that I'm pursuing. But I love this. But I, I, I want to add that, right? Still. But I run with passion. Verse 9, my passion is to be consumed with him and not clinging to my own righteousness. Uh, verse 10, I will be, verse 11, sorry, verse 11, 12, <laughs> what a mess I am. I'll keep running. Here we go. My passion, verse 9, is to be consumed with him. Verse 12, but I admit that I haven't taken in the absolute fullness of what I'm running to, but I will run with the passion that I started off in verse 9. I will run with passion. Where are you running to, Paul? Everyone say, where? Paul, where are you going? Where are you running to? Tell us where you're going. I just thought about Forrest for a moment. He was running and, and, he, and he blew up because people just wanted to know where Forrest was going. And he, and he, he, became, like, he became like this. You've seen the movie, whatever. It was dumb. Let's not even go into that. He was, what are you doing? Just running. But, but Paul, everyone wants to know where someone's running. Where are you running to? Where are you going? And he says this. He says, I admit, I haven't gotten it there, but I'm running with passion. I see that. I see you're into, into his abundance so that I may reach the purpose that Jesus Christ has called me to fulfill. And I love this part. And wants me to discover. There, there's something in Christ that is still calling us and calling us and calling us to steward the dwelling. Because in steward the dwelling, bunch of vine dwellers, there is much more to be discovered of Jesus Christ. 
We can't separate ourselves from the vine because separation from the vine causes you, what? To separate yourself from discovering Jesus. We can't, not, we can't just stop discovering him. Let's discover more of him. What do I have to do to discover more of him? Keep steward the dwelling. What do you mean? Let the branch grow deeper in the vine. And what? And the gardener would be pleased with that branch, will prune the branches that he has to prune, prune, and will rip off the branches he needs to rip off. What is Paul saying? I haven't gotten there yet. I haven't received it all. But I'm still running for the things that he's calling me to, that he's calling me to discover. I haven't attained it all. But shoot, I haven't stopped running. Many of us, because we haven't attained, we just think that the automatic thing to do next is, well, then I'm going to stop running if I have not attained yet what I've wanted. No, that's not how it works. We keep running. Why? Because there's discovery as you go deeper. There's discovery on the other side of that run. What do I do then? Run with passion. Where? I don't know. To Jesus. Run with passion to him. Don't run my run. Because then you're following my run. And you follow man. Don't run his run. Don't run her run. Don't run anyone's other run. Run your run with passion. Why? Why? Run your own run. Praise God for the runners that are next to us. But we are what? Stewarding. What does stewarding mean again? We are now responsible for it ourselves. Responsible for what? I'm running my race alongside others. But it's my race to run. Well, Lucho didn't make it, God. He tripped off on, he tripped in, in lap 56, and, and we almost made it. And God says, well, this isn't about Lucho. His race is his race to run. And thank God that you had him for those 56 laps. But just because he stopped at 56 doesn't mean that you weren't called to do 57. You run your race. Where? Where? With passion. To who? To Jesus. To what? To fully discover the things he wants you to discover. He, he's called me to fulfill and what he wants me to discover. Let's keep reading. 13. Amen? I don't depend, verse 13, on my own strength to accomplish this. What a cool thing to say as a runner. I'm running, but as I'm running with passion, I don't depend on my own strength to accomplish, accomplish this. However, I do have one compelling focus. I forget all of the past I have fastened, and I fastened my heart to the future instead. How many of you have run, and in running, it has, I'm going to use proper language, it has stunk in the past. Like seriously, any runners? Any <laughs> ex-runners? Granda's here, he's a runner. Love you, bro. I think I say hi to something. Runners. Running stinks for me. My buddy Roger's here, his shins, uh, running stinks for him, I know it does, and running stinks for me. But, but, but Paul, Paul says, I don't depend on my own strength to accomplish this, however, I have this one compelling focus, I forget all the past, what is that? All the past running experiences, and I fasten my heart to the future instead. Listen to verse 14, I run straight now, I run straight for the divine invitation. Do you know that Paul was running one time? But he was running the wrong race. He was. He was running the pharisaical race. He was running in Jerusalem. 
And every single person that he saw that was of the way, that's me and you, Christians, he would persecute them right then and there. Stephen, that we just read in Acts 7, was one of the men that Paul persecuted. How do I know that? Because the men that killed Stephen took off the clothes and put them at Paul's feet. That was a sign of he is the one in charge. And the man that we put the clothes on his feet is the one who has brought the orders. It was a young man named Paul. And Paul was running a race. He was running a race, and he thought that in running the race, he was doing God a favor. I'm doing God a favor, and I am persecuting, arresting, and killing all of those who are bringing this new heresy teaching into Jerusalem of this new leader, Messiah kind of guy named Jesus Christ. And, and, and Paul thought he was doing them a favor. He was running a strong pharisaical race. He was running it well, very respected, very honored, had a lot of power as a young man. But now, at this point of his life, he's running differently. Look what he's running now. Verse 14, I run straight for the divine invitation of reaching the heavenly goal and gaining the victory prize through the anointing of Jesus. I once ran against Jesus, but now I run to the prize of Jesus. Who is Jesus, better said. Man, I know there's a brother in here. I know there's a sister in here that has ran a, has ran a race but you've ran it against Jesus. And God called you today, and this is crazy stuff. Now you run it for Jesus. That's what Paul is doing here. I'm running it now through the anointing of Jesus. 15, so let all who are fully mature have this same passion. Back to passion, verse 9 and verse 12. And if anyone is not yet gripped by these desires, I highlighted this in my Bible and I bolded this in my notes. If anyone is not yet gripped by these desires, God will reveal it to them. I understand the revelation has not hit everyone, but I'm praying that, Lord, that your revelation hits everyone. Why? So it could grip them with the same passion that grips the ones who have received the revelation. You know, when Paul was running, people thought he was crazy. Do you know that even Christians thought he was crazy? I'm not going to let Paul come to our town, lest he be tricking us and he persecute us and then he tricks us, takes off his mask and he, and he says, I got you all now. The very own Christians didn't want to accept him into the brotherhood because of how strong his past was. That's why when I find out about people's past, like, I don't know, you know, they were really bad. They did a lot of bad things. Like, Bring them here. Let's give them the right hand of fellowship and say, welcome home because God wants people like you. Paul, they're like, the Christians like, I don't know, Peter had to have a meeting in Jerusalem. I don't know, should we let Paul back in? Should we let, do you think it's real? Bring him over here. They met him. He shared his testimony. They shook him the right hand of fellowship. They send him out. Go preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Amazing. So let all who are fully mature have the same passion. That if anyone is not yet gripped by these desires, do not raise your hands, but I'm praying that for all of us. Let us all advance together. I love that. We're all running our own race, but yet we're running together. Only the Bible could do things like that. Let's all advance together to reach the victory prize, following one path with one passion. Everyone say one path. Everyone say one passion. Hmm. Steward the dwelling. What do I mean? Let's go back to Paul's writing. Steward the dwelling. Let us be gripped with one passion. Not many passions. One passion. Let us be gripped with one passion, following one path, and continuing to pursue his absolute fullness, reaching what he wants us to discover. Let us be gripped with one passion. Man, I hope you guys got this. Like I got this in my kitchen table while I was typing this. 
Come on, let the dwelling, let the secret place, let the stewarding of it, let it be greater than your fears. There's some people that I know from personal conversations that are scared to even come back because they fear others. I pray that the stewarding, the dwelling overwhelms the fear of coming back. Oh, what are they going to say? What are they going to Come back. And what? And run the race to Jesus. How? With passion. For what? So you can discover what he has for you. All right, thank you for inviting me back. <laughs> Just run with passion to find what he wants you to discover. Come on, let, let the stewarding the dwelling be greater than your fears. Let it be greater than your worries. Let the steward, the dwelling, be greater than your setbacks. Remember Paul says, the race that he left behind? Steward, the dwelling, let it be greater than your failures. Let it be greater than your thoughts. Okay, enough negativity. Let's get to some positive things. Let it be greater than your successes. Because some of us, not only do you worship your fear and you put your fear over God, but we also put our successes and our victories over God too. We can't just knock the people that are struggling with fear. How about the ones that are also struggling with so much success that they forgot about God? You have to be very careful with that. We could do that a lot as a church. You know, knock down the person that's stressed out. Knock down the person that's hurting. But how about the person that life seems to be perfect, but yet they're missing the most important thing. They have not been gripped by one passion. So we have to be very, you know, careful how that goes. Let the steward of the dwelling be greater than your victories. Let the steward of the dwelling be greater than your talents, greater than your gifts. I know most of you have great talents and great gifts. Let it become alive in the steward of the dwelling. In stewarding your dwelling, let it come alive. How many of you can say amen? I don't even know. Should I end there? All right. I want to I read a psalm from David that some have titled the king of glory. This might be good, actually. Let's end it here. Steward the dwelling. Be gripped with one passion. Steward the dwelling. Not encounters to have more encounters, but encounters that will fix your eyes on Jesus to never take them off again. Steward the dwelling so that you can fasten your gaze onto the Lord. Steward your dwelling. What else do I have to repeat? Steward your dwelling so you could be gripped. Steward your dwelling so you could run, not with your own strength to accomplish whatever you're running in, in the Lord, but that you could steward the dwelling so you could run, so you could forget about everything that's from the past, and you could fasten your heart to the future that's, that's in front of you. What is that? The discoveries that are before you. Steward the dwelling for what? Running towards divine invitation of reaching heavenly goals, gaining a victory prize through the anointing of Jesus. If I ask any single one of you after this service and tomorrow and the next day and Wednesday when you come to midweek, what is the vision for your life? I hope it's Philippians chapter 3. Can I share personal stuff? He listens to our podcast and he won't get offended. <clears throat> It'll bless him. I shared this with some of you guys in one-on-one in, in -on -one meetings just to share my heart. But the name obviously will go unsaid. So I'm in, um, I'm in a water park like about two or three weeks ago with my family. And I have a young man who I could say I'm one of his mentors. I'm someone who the Lord has allowed me to mentor him. 
He's a young man that I've known since high school, since he was young. Now he's, now he's older, and he's, in, um, he's studying, he's in school, he's learning a lot. He's in the Word, um, he's in seminary, so on and so forth. So he's asking me a couple questions, and I just, it has nothing to do with him, it has more to do with what I answered. And um, out of nowhere, he just throws a, a curve, and he says, bro, he's from Miami, right? When you say bro, you know he's from Miami. <laughs> I give it away, he's from Miami, bro. You know he's not from Arkansas or Nebraska, when you say bro. He says, what's the long-term vision for Nest Church? It's a great question. And he writes, just out of curiosity. I, the cool thing about that, I didn't have to think about it. I knew it right away. I just wanted to know how I should write it, you know. So I put out some question, and I put, here's the long-term vision. To continue to burn for Jesus, brother. A family that burns for beloved, if we are deeper in that years from now, I will measure that as true success. That's it. So, I got a little, not scared, I don't care, but a little nervous because I'm trying to get the date here. Whatever, the date was like in three weeks ago, you get it. And then this Tuesday, he put, true, that's a great outlook. I put, man, I was waiting for your reply. <laughs> it took him three weeks, he put, I completely forgot. Say, man, you left me three weeks just hanging. Like, does he agree with the vision? Does he? Was he so for three weeks, I was like, where did he go with this? You know, I shared it with him. And out of nowhere, what time was that? 1.15 p.m. True, that's a great album. I'm like, what, what's true? Oh, yeah. What I told him three weeks ago. I feel like if you asked Paul, what's the vision for every church you plant? I feel like Paul might say something like this. My vision for the church is that, they, um, that their passion would be consumed with him and not cling to their own self-righteousness. That they would continually long to know the wonders of Jesus more fully and to experience the overflowing power of his resurrection working in me. That they will be one with him in his sufferings and because that was very relevant in this side of the world and one with him in his death. Only then will they be able to experience the complete oneness with him in his resurrection from the realm of death. That they, that they would understand that though they have not acquired absolute fullness that they're pursuing, that they would continue to run with passion into the abundance that they would reach for the purpose of Jesus Christ that he's called us to, to fulfill and wants to discover for the church that I'm planting all over the world. That they don't depend on their own strength to accomplish this, but that they would have one compelling focus to forget everything from the past and fasten their hearts to the future instead. That they would run straight for the divine invitation of reaching the heavenly goal and gaining the victory prize through the anointing of Jesus so that all of them would become fully mature and have the same passion and if any of them is not gripped that they would be gripped by the same desires that God will reveal it to them and that they would advance together to reach this victory prize following one path which is one passion Jesus Christ that's my vision for the church I answer a little bit shorter steward the dwelling let us be gripped everyone say let me be gripped all right Psalm 24 we'll read it real quick here we go Let's read it. Maybe I'll teach it more next week. Let's, let's just go ahead and do this. Ready? 
Worship team, maybe hit us up there. Bro. <laughs> I'm surprised Miami hasn't made a church called like Bros Church, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> the church of the bros. <clears throat> We did nest. It's close to it. What's in the nest, bros? <laughs> bros and sisters. Bros and sisters. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Psalm 24 is, is such a cool psalm. David is writing this and he's celebrating God's kingship. I won't teach it all today. But he's celebrating God's kingship and as he's celebrating God's kingship, he's describing what we would call the Lord's enthronement. I'll, I'll describe that for a moment. Enthronement is when we celebrate a king who is being seated upon their throne. Especially like when a king is seated for the first time, it's during, it, it is when everyone comes from the city, from the town, from the village, and it's his, they, go to, they appear to his enthronement. The king is taking his throne. So what David is doing is he's writing a psalm and it's chapter 24, and he's basically celebrating God's kingship. And, and in doing that, he's describing the enthronement of God. That he sits on, not a throne that was made for him. You know that thrones for kings on earth are made for them. To sit on. But, but this throne is his throne. Like, it's always been, it's his throne. No one made that throne for him. It's his throne. So different. So different. We've been hearing the word ascend here a lot in our church. Our Israel trip was themed um, ascend, and many of us are wearing the bracelets. We have the shirt. Yoslang is wearing a nice ascend shirt right now. What a coincidence. And we've been hearing the word ascend here a lot. But the truth is it shouldn't just be a theme to Israel. What a shame if it is. The, the, the theme ascend, it, it should, or maybe I should say it this way. Uh, the description of what that meant for our team that went to Israel. Jose is actually wearing it too. Forgive me. He went like that right now. He wanted to make sure. That, no, just please. But the, the whole meaning behind the send, it should actually be the theme to our lives. Not just for a trip, but for our lives. I hope you guys could understand that. It should be the theme to our lives. And what I mean by that is that we would learn to daily ascend to the mountain of God. Run to it. When? How? Always. With, with what? With passion. That we'd ascend to the mountain of God. When? Always. Let's just read it, and then um, I guess this is a good way of saying come back next week, and we'll, go, we'll get deeper into this, and then I'm going to go into some stuff on Wednesday, but this is good. <clears throat> it says, God claims, I'm going to read from Passion, God claims the world as his, love that. Everything and everyone belongs to him. Man. He's the one who pushed, back, who pushed back oceans to let dry ground appear. He plants firm foundations for the earth. Man, there's so much there. Verse 3, who then, who then, who then ascends into the presence of the Lord? New King James says, who may ascend to the hill of the Lord, the mountain of God? Who has the privilege of entering into God's holy place? Come on, answer that. Who? Who then? Who then has absolute right to walk into the mountain of God. You know that answer? Hopefully you get it. 
If you're in Christ, it's you. I'm going to go into that. Verse 4. Well, maybe this will give you a definition of who. Those who are clean, whose works and ways are pure, will define all these things. Whose hearts are true and sealed by the truth. Those who do not deceive, whose words are sure. Verse 5. They will receive the Lord's blessing and righteousness given by the Savior, by God. And they will stand before God. For they seek the pleasure of God's face, the God of Jacob. Then it says Salah, or it says pause. And you, get, you know what Salah means or pause? Pause in his presence. Or think about these things. As, as David writes this, he says pause. Salah. And the reader says, put down the writing and think about this. Who could ascend to the mountain of God? Who, those whose hearts are true, sealed by truth. Who's not lifted up their soul to any idol. No one who has sworn deceitfully. Those who never deceive. Those whose words are sure. Whose hearts are true. And, and it's pause and think about that in his presence. Verse 7. So wake up, you living gateways. I believe this so much for today more than it is for David's day. Lift up your heads, you ageless doors of destiny. Welcome the king of glory for he is about to come through. Man, the, the gateways. I, I, I want to tell you that I don't think for once is David thinking about a future temple being built. And him walking in with the high priest, with the priest walking in with the, with the Ark of the Covenant. And he's telling them, open the gateways, the old ancient ruins, open them. For the glory of God is coming through. The Ark of the Covenant where his presence reigns. I think that has to do more with us, believe it or not. Because we are the third temple. In which Psalm 24 says, open up. For he's about to come through the king of glory. We'll talk about that. Lift up your heads, you ageless doors of destiny. Welcome the king of glory. He's about to come through. Verse 8, you ask who is this king of glory? I'll give them to you. Ready? David says, he's the Lord armed and ready for battle. He's the mighty one, invincible in every way. <laughs> he's a man of war. That's my God. He's a man of war. But he's also a man of love. So wake up, you living gateways, gateways and rejoice. Fling wide your ageless doors of destiny. Here he comes. The king of glory is ready to come in. You ask again, who is this king of glory? He continues and he says, he is the Lord of victory, armed and ready for battle. The mighty one, the invisible commander of heaven's host. Yes, he is the king of glory. Salah, pause and think about that. Steward the dwelling. Because he is the Lord of victory, armed and ready for battle, the mighty one, invincible commander of heaven's host. He is the king of glory. So what do I do? Run with passion, steward that. That's who he is. 